0: Good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 4, verse 1. We have a ton of ground to cover this morning in a short amount of time as we continue in our series, verse by verse, through the Gospel of John. Uh, last Sunday, if you were here, we covered John 3:16, maybe one of the most famous verses in Scripture. And we talked about the shocking and sometimes offensive reality that God loves the whole world, including people that honestly we wish he didn't. Uh, And then on Wednesday, midweek, we actually released a midweek podcast covering the following verses that come after that uh, that talk about John the Baptist and the tension between the disciples of John the Baptist and the disciples of Jesus. And uh, so, if you miss that midweek podcast, it's on iTunes and on our website, but we're not covering that this morning. Uh, this morning, we're picking up in chapter four uh, of the Gospel of John. Starting in verse one, John writes this He says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had gone through Samaria, which is enemy territory. Uh, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink— But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Let's pray. Jesus, we calm ourselves, our spirits, our minds that often race this way and that thinking about all sorts of other things. And I pray, Lord, that in this moment, we would slowly ground ourselves in you, in your goodness, in the reality of your presence, under the shadow of your promises. God, would we find ourselves uh, stepping deeper into your presence, deeper into your kingdom, would we be people who could say, honestly and truly, I, I have this living water that Jesus talks about. I, I know it, I sense it, the people around me sense it. Would you uh, draw us near for that purpose and to that end this morning? That you would be glorified in us? because we've surrendered to you and received the things that you long to give us. In Jesus' name, amen. The most important question that you will ever answer in your life is not, who am I or where did I come from? It is not, what should I do with my life, or what can I accomplish? The most important question you will ever answer is this. Who is Jesus? And everyone, at some point or another, will have to answer that question. The way you answer that question can be accurate or inaccurate, It can be beautiful or downright awful, but for better or for worse, the way that you answer that question will shape the trajectory of your life and beyond. Who is Jesus? John, the son of Zebedee, on a hilltop in ancient Ephesus, in the midst of one of the most powerful empires in all of world history, quietly picks up a pen to answer that question. He begins writing an account of his firsthand experience with Jesus, which arguably answers that question with greater force and clarity than any other single document that has ever been written in human history. And whether John knows it or not, uh, the words that he is writing, full of beauty and truth, have enough dynamite to destroy and overturn the most powerful empire in the world. Destroying the beast that was paganism in the process But before it challenges and overthrows the world's greatest empire, this gospel account is first received not as a challenge to paganism, but as a challenge to the very Judaism from which it originates. In fact, it becomes clear from John's account uh, that though uh, Jesus has come as a Jewish rabbi to fulfill the hope of the Jewish people, as the Jewish Messiah, Judaism itself is about to undergo a major transformation in the process. The prophets throughout the Old Testament always said that when the Messiah came and the Holy Spirit was, was poured out freely upon people that in a sense, everything would change. The world that they knew would be transformed. Uh, they, They were always going to be landscape altering events, but I don't think anyone could foresee just how challenging these events would be for Judaism itself. You have to imagine that you are a Jewish person in first century Palestine and that your world revolves around the temple in which you worship and sacrifices are made, uh, around the law from the Old Testament, which guides everything in your life, uh, around the patriarchs written about in the Old Testament from whom you can trace your specific family line. You know what tribe and what, um, which descendant and which son of Jacob you come from. Genetically, it's part of your identity. Uh, Your life is guided by the teachings of your local rabbi interpreting the scripture and the law. And it's also guided by the annual, uh, weekly, and even daily customs that mark your life the festivals and celebrations, the Sabbath days uh, and, and weekly ceremonies, ceremonial washing, the things that would happen daily that marked your life and your identity as a human being. But then you have to imagine that the long-awaited Messiah arrives and that instead of violently challenging and overthrowing the pagans, he actually starts by challenging Judaism itself. In the stories that John has selected, we see Jesus challenging Nicodemus, who is a great rabbi and a teacher of the Jewish nation. And he essentially says, through this sort of conversation and confrontation, Jesus reveals that external teachings and the law and the rabbis aren't enough, that that entire system of doing things will not get the job done, that it does not lead to spiritual rebirth. Uh, And as he changes water into wine at a wedding, it's a little bit subtle and a little bit hidden, but Jesus actually performs that miracle using ceremonial washing jars. And in a sense, he's illustrating through that miracle and comparing and contrasting sort of the empty barrenness, the fruitlessness of the Judaism of his day and comparing and contrasting that with his own abundance, with the life and fruitfulness that is in him when he comes to the temple he challenges and overthrows the money changers and in a sense and even more explicitly in the other gospels during this event he essentially says remember the temple is the center of judaism the center of the universe if you are a jewish person and yet he goes into that place and essentially says hey what's happening here is corrupt and and it's done like, this will no longer be the center. This whole temple is becoming obsolete. It is being set aside. And you'll notice that in today's story, this sort of same theme continues. Uh, and uh, today's story actually takes place, quote, near the plot of ground that Jacob has, had given to his son Joseph. Uh, in the very site of the well of Jacob. Okay, so this is a historical setting. There is uh, gravity and reverence to this place. And during the course of their conversation, as Jesus starts revealing who he is, uh, the Samaritan woman he's talking to says, quote, Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons? Remember, his sons are the 12 tribes, become the 12 tribes of Israel. So in in comparison, this would be like somebody uh, sitting on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., right? A place uh, marked with reverence for this wonderful leader, arguably the greatest president in U.S. history. Though, Of course, there's room for debate there but he is a giant within U.S. history. And if you've been there, there's this huge statue of him in these giant columns. It's a very uh, sort of grand, beautiful, historical place to mark uh, the memory of a world-famous leader. And it would be like standing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and making a speech and saying, I am the greatest politician who has ever lived. And if you were there listening to that speech, the first most logical question would be, really? Like, are you greater than that guy whose memorial steps that you're sitting on right now? Like, really, you think you're a bigger deal than Abraham Lincoln? And there's a sense in which that's happening here. He's at Jacob's well. He's at this famous place, and Jacob is sort of a giant within the faith. He's renamed Israel. Remember, I am an Israelite. I descend from Jacob. Uh, That really marks the story of these people but the unspoken answer in the text is actually yes jesus is greater he's greater than the law he's greater than the temple he's greater than the patriarchs he's greater than their their rituals and ceremonial washing he's greater than the rabbis and their teachings the religious leaders of their day Uh, and all of that stuff john points out is external to the human heart It's all just rituals and customs and religion. It won't get the job done. Beautiful as it is, it's not the answer. Instead, Jesus has come as the one who will radically transform the internal architecture of the human heart. And he is the only one in any religion or spirituality who has claimed the ability to do that and, and has successfully done it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he uh, has done things that no other religion, religious movement, spirituality has even dreamed of doing, including Judaism. And yet here he is, sitting in the dirt by a well in Samaria, talking to a Samaritan woman of all people, And John is gracious enough to explain to us in the text that that Jewish men do not talk to Samaritan women or Samaritans at all. Like, it, it just doesn't happen. You don't do it. And yet, that's what Jesus is doing. He's talking with this woman, and her response is essentially What are you doing? what are you doing right now? Why are you talking to me? You're not supposed to be talking to me. And then comes this key line. I think it's actually the center of the entire narrative. Jesus replies with these words. He says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. But notice the connection there that Jesus is making. If you knew who I was and what I have to offer, then you would ask. You actually start by answering that all-important question, who is Jesus? But if you get that right, Jesus says, if you knew, if you, if you really knew who I am, what I'm like, and what I have to offer, then logically, you would ask for living water. That would be the most fitting response. You could think of it this way, as an analogy. Imagine for a moment that Warren Buffett was sick of having billions of dollars. He was like, I'm tired of having billions of dollars. This isn't the life I want to lead. I am going to, you know, I'm announcing a vow of poverty. And I'm going to give away my billions. But I'm going to do it by giving it away a million dollars at a time. I have hundreds and hundreds of millions to give. I'm going to give it a million dollars at a time to anyone who asks me. Okay, so if you see me on the street, ask me for a million dollars. I already have a bunch of checks pre-printed. All you have to do is ask and I'll pull out a check and give it to you a million dollars. Imagine that he's made that announcement and then several weeks later you're heading out of the grocery store here in Spokane and lo and behold right there in the parking lot on his way into the grocery store is Warren Buffett. And you recognize him and you say, probably the first thing that would come to your mind is, oh my gosh, what are you doing at a grocery store in Samaria? I mean, Spokane. Like, what are you doing here? What, you, like, you buy your own groceries? Like, this doesn't even make sense. Like, you, you shouldn't be here to begin with. This is weird. And you might be caught up on that point. But Warren Buffett in that moment could easily respond and say, man, if you knew who I was and what I have to offer, you would ask and I'd give you a million dollars. Like if you really knew what the deal was and what was going on right now, then the most logical thing you could do would be to ask and I would give it to you. I'm not stingy, I'm not holding back, I've already promised this. All you have to do is ask. And in a sense, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you had inside information If you knew who I was and what I promised and what I'm offering, the most logical thing to do would be to ask, and I would give it to you. Boom, here's a million dollars. Try not to spend it all in one place. Jesus is saying something similar, but with a spiritual reality that is worth way more than a million dollars. There's no amount of paper money that could buy or purchase or be worth what Jesus is offering. In fact, now that we're talking about paper money, that's actually one of the many types of water that you can drink. And guess what? You'll be thirsty again. If that entire scenario actually played out and you got a million dollars, Odds are, two weeks later, you'd be back roaming the parking lot at Yos, hoping for another chance encounter. Well, hey, that was pretty cool, but why not try it again? It actually wouldn't be enough. And perhaps, as you were there day after day, wandering the parking lot, hoping for that, for that next chance encounter, perhaps Jesus would whisper to you as you were pacing and say, everyone who drinks that water will be thirsty again. Or perhaps money's not your thing. Perhaps you're part of the statistical majority of American Christians that are addicted to pornography. Trapped in cycles of lust and self-gratification. And in the moment, it feels like it's full of life and it makes you feel good, but Jesus is there whispering over your shoulder this morning. Everyone who drinks that water will be thirsty again. And the more you drink, the thirstier you will become. It will never satisfy. And you know those people who are chasing paper money? Yeah, statistically speaking, the more you have the more you want, the more thirsty you become. You can look this up and track the studies. Statistically speaking, every million dollars that you add makes that person thirstier than they were before. They are not satisfied. In fact, some of the richest people in the world, with very few exceptions, Some of the richest people in the world are the most miserable. It doesn't satisfy. Or perhaps it's that next purchase on Amazon, or that next dress, or the next makeup accessory, or that next car. And you think, oh, if only I had that, I would feel beautiful. I would feel valued, I would feel loved, I would feel respected. People would notice me, I would feel affirmed, I would feel accomplished. But in the end, honestly, a lot of those things are like porn. They might make you feel really good in the moments, but then that moment passes and you're left feeling thirsty again looking for the next purchase, the next thing that will turn people's heads, the next way to feel noticed or affirmed. And in the aftermath, maybe there's even guilt that begins to sink in over the credit card debt that you're incurring or over how many things you ended up purchasing that day or whatever it is. And Jesus is there, leaning over your shoulder in the midst of that online shopping spree, whispering to you, reminding you, everyone who drinks that water will be thirsty again. Or perhaps you're in the midst of another Netflix binge and it's a Saturday afternoon, but you're eight hours and 10 episodes in. And Jesus is whispering to you, everyone who drinks that water will be thirsty again. And it's true. Eight hours later, you feel worse than you did when you started. But guess what? You'll be back again the next day because you still have two seasons left. Or maybe you're picking up your phone For the 80th time today, jumping on social media for another dopamine hit, another chance to feel affirmed or noticed by someone else. And you're three hours in today, but you don't know it. You have no idea. And Jesus is there, leaning over your shoulder, reminding you, everyone who drinks that water will be thirsty again. It doesn't matter how many likes or how many comments or how many retweets, you will be thirsty again. You'll be back the next day thirsty as you've ever been, desiring more. Maybe you're slaving away with your head down And you don't even have time to show up to church or listen to this podcast because your life has been consumed with trying to get that next degree, that next promotion, that next job opportunity, that next career change. And these goals have sort of hijacked, taken over your life. And because they take years to accomplish, it's actually a lot harder to tell but eventually that day will come when you're standing on stage with your third degree in hand or you're walking in to your new corner office or you get that next promotion or that next title and God doesn't even have to whisper to you in that moment because you already know the moment it's in your hands. Everyone who drinks that water will be thirsty again, bless you. This is the story of the human condition. This is the story of life in the Western world. This is your story and this is my story. My journey of discipleship has been following Jesus as he slowly weans me off of lesser waters and leads me kindly but firmly like a good shepherd to the place where living water is found. My dreams for my life were 100% money and success oriented. I wanted to become a lawyer in part because lawyers were rich, and I could already see in my mind the house where I would live and the car that I would drive, and, and it was amazing so I went to law school, and it became a lawyer. And uh, in the process uh, of doing that, actually in the years leading up to law school, Jesus got a hold of me and began speaking into my life, saying, hey, all of those material dreams that you're driving after, that will never satisfy. And I'm asking you to give those up. That will not be the point and focus of your life. That was a really difficult thing for me to do as a new Christian following after Jesus, but, but through continual surrender and the power of the Spirit working within, I was able to do that. Say, all right, I, I will surrender those dreams. That's not an easy thing to do, but Jesus led me into that place. And when Jesus found me, uh, I was already in my 20s, and I had fashioned my sexual ethos off of the world i had adopted the world's dreams and patterns of thinking and lust and behavior and all of it it all looked good to me i saw no compelling alternative so i adopted all of it into myself and my way of living and and when jesus came into my life and i received the holy spirit he was gentle but one of the first things that he convicted within me is essentially saying hey this lifestyle that you're engaged in, it will never satisfy. Everyone who drinks that water will be thirsty again. And it was true. I I was years into those patterns and habits and ways of thinking, and I was thirstier then than I had been when I started. It, It wasn't working. It was not satisfying. Things were getting worse over time. And, and so at that call, at that leading of the Spirit, who repented of that way of life and followed him. And by his grace, has never gone back to that. But part of that is recognizing the truth from Jesus that it will not satisfy. That everyone who drinks that water will be thirsty again. And when Jesus found me, I was relentlessly pursuing a career in the law at the top of my class, shelves full of trophies and degrees and accomplishments. And He whispered to me in that place. He actually gave me a vision of what my life would look like 40 years from now if I persisted in my careerism if my life was all about what I could gain and accomplish and, and post on my wall. And the vision he gave me was actually, I can still picture it, I still remember it. It was, it was almost this moment of like the ghost of Christmas future. Like here's what this will look like if you do not change. And, and I was sick to my stomach. I, I, was, I was shaken. <laughs> I was was upset by what I saw. And and he didn't have to tell me within that vision, I already knew, man, if that's the only water that I drink, I am gonna be so thirsty 40 years from now. And I gave it up. Because our problem with the, the lesser waters of the world is that we keep going back and we keep asking for more. It's, it's never enough. We don't know when to say enough is enough. Think about that this morning. As a human being before God, chasing lesser things, or at least tempted to, when is it enough? When, when will we ever get to that point where we say it's enough? Enough money, enough makeup, enough clothes, enough gadgets, enough likes and comments, enough whatever it is for you. It's never enough. We will always be thirsty if that's what we're using to quench our thirst. But if our problem with lesser waters is that we just keep asking for more, and honestly, sometimes our prayers to God are centered around asking for more of those things. But if that's our problem with lesser water, then our problem with living water is that we don't ask at all. Jesus says, if you knew who I was, if you knew what I have to offer, you wouldn't be chasing all that other stuff. You'd actually come to me and you'd ask and I would give it to you because that's who I am. What father whose children ask for more of the Holy Spirit, he said, said, I'll give it to you. Every time, I will give it to you. This is what I have to give. This is what I long to give you. And if you knew that, you wouldn't waste all of your time and worry and lust chasing after lesser waters. You would come to me and you would ask and I would give it to you. So as we close, two quick invitations that I'd like to make. And the first is just to ask for living water. To come to God this morning in your own way and, and ask for that. To say, Jesus, I actually want more of you. I want more of what you have to offer. I'm really sick of some of the cycles that I'm stuck in and the places that I run to quench my thirst. Uh, and oftentimes for me, what this looks like is just really, a, a lot of people will kind of settle into a simple prayer uh, or question that kind of uh, ushers us into a beautiful place with God. Uh, for me, it sounds something like this. I often say, God, you. this is in my quiet times, and my times of prayer. I say, God, you are my portion. You are my inheritance. Out of your goodness, would you give yourself to me? Some variation of that. For me personally, that's what I'll come back to. And that's me coming and asking for living water. Lord, out of your goodness, would you give of yourself? I'm thirsty this morning. And and if you don't fill me with that type of water, at some point today, for some portion of the day, maybe for most of the day, I'm going to be thirsty, and I'll probably start looking in the wrong place. We come in our own way and we ask for more from the God who is so faithful to give us more of himself. And we'll do that in a minute as we head into worship. But the second invitation that I'll make uh, is to pick a day this week. If you're willing, if you're eager to press into this, pick a day this week and fast fast. From the time that you wake up in the morning to the time that you sit down for dinner at night, that's how i often fast. You can go longer than that if you want to, but i often fast from the moment I wake up until dinner that evening. Uh, don't eat any food and let it be a day set aside, uh, a time where you constantly are saying yes to the Spirit. You're asking for living water. You're asking for God to fill you and sustain you. And at the same time, it's a day to say enough to the things of this world. Money and careerism, Netflix and social media, online shopping, and even food can be avenues through which we uh, feed the flesh and kind of form ourselves into consumers. We can easily have all of these things in our life that train us to be sort of uh, self-gratifying, sort of fleshly in our approach to life and chasing all of those lesser waters. I'm going to keep looking for kicks and entertainment and dopamine hits in things that don't satisfy. When we fast, we're actually, it's a practical way of refocusing uh, our body, our minds, our spirits around the Holy Spirit and saying, Lord, today would you Fill me with living water. I want that today more than I want food. I want you. It's a day of of receiving more of the Spirit and starving the flesh in the process. Any time that we fast is a moment for us to say, even to ourselves, to proclaim with our bodies as well as our minds, I am not a consumer. I am not a luster. I am not a slave to the waters of this world. That's not who I am. I am not drunk off the idolatries of the world around me. It's a day of saying I am grounded. I am sober-minded In the presence and spirit of God, I am a son, I am a daughter, and what I desire is not to be fed off the lesser waters of this world. I want something more. And God, I recognize here and now, as I'm fasting with clarity of vision, I can see that that I can run after those other things, But in the end, everyone who drinks those waters will be thirsty again. Let's pray.